0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, let's uh, let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll start our second in the series Unexplainable. Father, thank you that you are a, a good and kind God. And when I pray this morning for myself and my friends is that uh, we experience you in that kindness this morning, especially those who are just Tired and a little worn, and they put on their happy face just to get here. Um, I pray that you help break through some of the doubts in our own mind and that we would uh, know you uniquely. In your son's name, amen. So, John, John writes this biography, what we call a gospel. He's about 80 years old, uh, so white hair, white beard. Uh, tradition tells us that. As one of the last voices for, for Jesus, he might have been boiled in oil. Um, so if that's true, what I pictured is an older man, pretty scarred up most of his body, and knowing how scar tissue forms and heals, maybe not as mobile as he once was, even you know, more so than being older, just the stiffness of having your body covered in scar tissue. Uh, He was a pastor at a church of Ephesus. Um, At one point, he was exiled to a a prison island called Patmos to maybe try to silence his influence and his voice. What ends up happening is that he has a very powerful, you know, mystical experience on this island, and we can't stop talking about his book that he wrote while he was there called Revelation. Um, But I think what makes this unique to me as I think about him is that His story that he wrote about Jesus was different than all the other ones. In fact, those of you who have gone to some sort of religious training, whether it's a a seminary or a Bible college or that kind of thing, you know that those first Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic Gospels, the singular view. They have a lot of overlap, a lot of similarities. But John writes something very different he writes in a way that seems to be so independent of those other sources. Hey, you want a little, a little arcane, esoteric, fun fact? I'm saying, I, I want to know how many of you know this. What is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels? I'm not telling you. Uh, what's that, resurrection? Okay, well, yeah, that's part of the story, yeah, good, good call. Not the one I was thinking of, but uh, well done. Wine, oddly enough, No. Uh, but again, the, this is going to seem funny. It's the feeding of the 5,000. That is the only miracle that's in every single one of the Gospels. And when you think about why each person wrote, you know, perhaps Matthew trying to explain to his Jewish audience the Messiah, you know, Mark explaining the idea of a servant, Luke amazed at this perfect man, and then John speaking of his mystical divinity, each one saw something in that, in that miracle for their story. There's a school of thought that says that John was a young boy when he was actually a student of Jesus, which would explain perhaps his being the last surviving voice, and there's some other things that go into that. We, we learned last week that he was an intolerant man, he was a, an impatient man, he was a very vocal, perhaps even violent man. I mean, you don't get nicknamed by God, son of thunder, because you have indigestion. I mean, there's something about you that is, you know, you're out there, you're a bit of an extrovert. And yet, as towards the end, when he writes those short postcards, these short, very personal letters at the end of this book, um, of our our Bibles, the word that he seems to return to over and over again is the word love. But this morning, when we read the story that I'm going to share with you, I I want you to, to understand why he wrote this. And so let's start with John chapter 20, verse 24. John 20, verse 24. Let me give you the... to when he's going to write this story and then he's going to explain why he wrote the entire book. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I put my nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And about a week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Which is what you would say if you walked through walls and scare people, right? Hey, peace, man. This is where it gets interesting. See, I I, I love this scene, Uh, all the disciples talking. I mean, this is such a powerful moment. This... This guy came back from the dead, right? And they're all meeting again. Now, if you you read this, you you might miss the emotion of it and the impact of it. Because I can only imagine Thomas thinking, "Uh, you know, dude, close your mouth. You look like a mouth breather. You know, just, there you go. And then he appears, and the first thing he has to tell everybody, don't panic. It's okay. And then he locks eyes with Thomas, And walks over to him, Thomas, dude, go ahead, put your fingers in the wound. Put your hand in my side. Stop not believing. Now, if you're Thomas, you got to feel, you know, small. What a powerful impact I must have had on this man. So he says, hey, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out uh, your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said what we would say. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, Hey, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are you. Happy are you. Happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, here's, here's what John tells us why he wrote this. He's telling you up front the purpose of why I wrote this biography. Jesus did many of the miracles, miraculous signs, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he's one of the few people that tells you right up front. I, I, I'm trying to put together the evidence, the story, the impact of what I experienced so that you'll believe it too. And so one of these stories that he, he gave us is found in, in uh, John chapter 5, which is the text where we're going to go to. But this morning, before I even get there, I want to speak to you a little bit about his power over doubt I think that for most of us um, we doubt because it's a safer place than to believe and have hope. You know, the, um, it's almost like a refuge. I, I don't want to believe something is possible just to have my hopes dashed over and over and over and over again. So I just, I doubt, it's because if I doubt then I don't have to commit to anything. I have to myself open for a disappointment. For, for many of us, I think maybe that's probably our, our, our hurdle. Our, our biggest thing to process is just doubt. Now here's the thing that, that I believe is the one that really is the most difficult one. You go up to Sunday school, you have any kind of religious training, if you walked by a church, you've heard the phrase, God loves you. And for some of us, we hear those words and they just sting because we've come from such damage that that can't possibly be true. For others of us, we experienced it at one moment in a very significant way. And then we made decisions, perhaps, or life happened, and we seem to lose our way and lose a bit of our souls. And we just think maybe he used to, but not anymore. And we feel the loss of a friend. Other times, I think, you walk around as if you have this mark on you, a stain that says, he couldn't love me if he knew who I was. If God is anything, he wouldn't love me. So we rather hide in doubt or function in doubt because the reality is just too painful. I also think before I come to this story, how often it is that sometimes our language has to do with seeking God or finding God, when the reality is it's it's really the reverse. I think we are, we are experiencing it this way that we are actually looking, but perhaps it's there's a there's a an awakening, there's a hunger, there's a I think we're just being drawn in, and we believe we're actually the ones seeking and looking for God. That just that's just almost never the case. That's just not how I think we're built. In fact, I think this is how we're built. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 for a moment. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. If you're one of those Bible students, seminary students, you know, you, and, and, and this is a, a literal, factual, historical account, awesome. If you're one of those folks, you're not sure if it's historical, and is it metaphorical? Awesome. What I'm saying to you is that Either way, it seems to explain our condition as people. Now, here's what I mean. You've seen this story hundreds of times. In a commercial, in a cartoon, in Sunday school, you know, the little felt board. And I've, I've always noticed, for some reason, Adam and Eve are always Caucasian. You know, they're always blonde and blue-eyed. It's they ever Hispanic. And um, with Adam and Eva and... Um, and I notice that no matter where they're standing, nature seems to strategically cover their sensitive areas as well, you know, so that we never see them actually naked. Uh, it's an interesting place. But in this story, you know that they had this tree and this knowledge of good and evil and this fruit that they were going to eat, and they are conned into believing that when they eat this fruit, they'll experience a humanity a bit more significantly. You'll know and experience and have the knowledge of good and evil which of course is interesting because they already knew good. So why would you want to know evil? But apparently it was, their curiosity got the best of them. And so since I picture this more like a movie than anything else, I wonder what was that first bite like? Did it go sour in their mouths right away? Did it seem to be okay? What happened in the sky? Did it go gray? Was there some sort of rip in the universe? Was there thunder? Did something shake? Or did they just all of a sudden it seemed like color left their view and they saw things in more shades of gray and and just what did you just give me to eat you know now this is why i i find that it's rarely us searching for god it's it's god searching for us at that moment that that happened it's verse eight then the man and his wives heard the sound of the lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? The other part of the story is that they try to cover themselves. They realize something was missing. And when I read that part, verses 8 and 9, I always think how weirdly tragic that is. I mean, here was this, their, their closest friend, their creator, the one that they took pleasure in, the one that he took pleasure in them. And he shows up and, and they go hide. You know what this feels like? You ever have that relationship that starts to go south and you need to cut it off? And when they show up at your door or you see their caller ID in your phone, what used to be exciting to you, like, oh, oh they're calling. You <laughs> know, you let it go to voicemail? Or you, you try to stay away from the curtain so they don't see that you're in the house, even though your car's out front? Chris, apparently that spoke to you for some reason. You're just—I <laughs> just don't know which one you were in that story. There's, just, there's, there's almost nothing as weirdly painful as, as, as love that's been broken, isn't it? And, and you have to feel this as a lover looking for his loved one, and Adam and Eve being the loved ones who also loved it one return couldn't be there and so they hid and then the question comes up because if, if you read the scriptures this is where god always drives us is through questions do you mean do you really think he didn't know where they were you know of course not he just needed them to articulate why you know why am i here why am i hiding from you you know so where are you you know we hid ourselves this is always, I notice this, when people seem to get a little bit uncomfortable with God talk, I think they're at this place. They sense and they feel it coming closer and so they go to hide, in a way, in their souls. Now, that that is his soul. Speaking of God, that's his heart towards us. It, it, you know, I think sometimes we imagine this as God stationary and we, we're struggling to get to where he is, where actually, he's always moving towards us. He gives us metaphors like water, and in this book, the wind, movement towards the people that he loves and, and seeks. This is why I rarely ask, I mean, I just don't, it's just not part of my language to ask people, you know, have you found God? It's not like he's hiding. We're the ones that are hiding. We're the ones that are avoiding him. So John chapter 5 is sort of a story like this to me. Let's go there. John 5 verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in Aramaic is Bethesda, which is covered by 5 covered colonnades or pillars. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I want to stop for just a moment. There's only some questions God can ask that don't come off sarcastic. See, if any one of us did that, hey dude, want to get well? Like, Oh, that was horrible, man. I was so sarcastic. How could you? Dude, you're a monster. See, but oddly enough, that's a question that, he, that this person perhaps needed to answer. Now, I want you to know that this question, if those of you who are English majors or you're in sales, is a closed-end question. It's either yes or no. Do you want to get well? Yes, I want to get well, or no, I don't want to get well. But I want you to listen to the response of the fellow. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, some of your Bibles have verse 4. It seems to be like a parenthetical thought that says that an angel would touch this water, And then when it was moved, when it had this troubling or movement, the first one into the pool was healed of whatever issue they had. All right? So now if you're completely invalid and you can't move at all, you're not going to be the first one off the line to get to the pool. And though that verse is a little controversial, verse 7 seems to imply something about this water being moved. Now, I'm thinking, I guess, you know, I'm a bit of a mystic, so I believe in the supernatural, So I think, well, it's possible. But what I also think is that maybe there was just bubbling of water underneath. It's a natural spring, and someone interprets that as this thing, and they jump in, and who knows? All right. Either way. Verse 9, picking up. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath which demonstrates their tremendous grasp of the obvious the law forbids you to carry your mat but he replied well the man that made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk i mean i hear you you got your traditions but the guy that healed me he said pick up my mat so you know what i'm down with him (laughs) and by the way i'm walking as i'm carrying my mats so, of course, they asked him, somebody doing good on the Sabbath? we got to put a stop to this. So they asked him, well, who's this fellow that told you to pick up his mat and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So it tells me, obviously, that he wasn't that Scandinavian blue-eyed Jesus that we normally see paintings of. He didn't stand out. Oh, it's the blonde Jew there. <laughs> Look at his eyes, they're blue. That's him. (laughs) Tall, slender man, that guy. He looks like he needs a good meal and some color. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, look, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus that made him well. All right, a few things out of the story Here's one of the first things that stick out in my mind is the idea of what we consider a miracle. A lot of it is just that it has to do with time. Time makes something seem miraculous. When it happens slowly, it's not a miracle. Um, how many of you, when you were little, okay, so I hope you guys didn't eat breakfast. But I was always amazed at scabs as a child because I remember thinking, I, I got a scab, I'm getting well. Right? Because you have those... Um, <laughs> My poor parents. I was, I was one of those children that was often, you know, at the hospital. And then there was that moment of self-injury when I ended up in the hospital. And um, have you ever cut yourself where you see your bone? you it's like, oh, man, that's deep. You know, or you have some weird things popping out, and you got to push it back in while you call the doctor, you know. Uh, but I always knew that when that scab came, which, by the way, sorry, reminds me of beef jerky, when I would see the scab, See, I told you, I'm sorry if you guys ate, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, that, see, you're with me on that one, right? It doesn't stop me from eating beef jerky, by the way. I'm just telling you, it reminds me of a scab. That's one big, huge. Uh, <laughs> someone's like, oh, stop, make him stop. We'll take this out of the podcast for uh, everybody else's sake. Beef jerky. Then, um, <laughs> But I was always amazed when that, you know, just tripping at your body, replicate. It's a, a healing machine. I mean, you don't grow a finger back, but the place that the finger went away will scab up, heal, and you'll have skin again. That's, that just trips me out. Uh, you break a bone, you set it, it'll, it'll heal. In fact, this is why I, I have this bump in the middle of my hand. Uh, I broke my hand, and, and so uh, instead of fusing it this way, they laid it one bone on top of the other, and then it, they let it fuse, and they said, hey, come back, we'll shave it down. I'm eh, no, I'm good. yeah, I'm good. It's just in it just, your skin and stitching. And I was always amazed at how like, your body heals. But see, we don't think of it as such a big deal. In fact, we get impatient. Come on, you heal. But if it happens instantly, it's a miracle. It happens over time. Uh. Water into wine, no big deal. Water into two-buck chuck. We're not impressed. See, some of you know that. You guys are drinkers. I know who you are now. We're taking names... We'll be talking to you after the gathering, All right? How about little, little bitty, looks like specks, you refer to them as seeds, you put it in the ground, you pour water on it, which is a good waste of potential wine, and then you wait for it to grow and you eat it. We eat food from the ground. We eat from dirt. Now, I personally prefer my food created in stainless steel vats with men in white coats so that I know it's good for me. But you take these little seeds, those wonderful salads, and then some of the you, you, things we make, we make bread out of. Sometimes we make pan dulce from it. I mean, you know, it's all good, and we're not impressed with that. Why? Because this is how things happen. But if it happens immediately, it's, wow, it's a miracle. So I think that's one of, the things, one of the first things I need to get over is the fact that the miraculous exists among us a little bit more frequently than we think. We just are used to it. With the time taken away, it becomes more... Amazing. Here's the other thing. This event took place on a Sabbath, and this was the, the day of national rest. People weren't supposed to do any kind of work. Now, the idea behind it was this great time that you would spend with God connecting. There was a huge spiritual significance to this moment. The other component was simply physical rest connecting with your family again, enjoying. God and your family, your friends, life. But somewhere along the line, as we do, we just made it weird. And even doing something good was against the law. You did it on a Sabbath. But but here's what I want you to understand. You know, there, there's there's no day off for a God who loves and cares. If there's misery, if there's pain, if there's dysfunction, if there's darkness, if there's something that's hurting, he, he moves towards that. There's, you might say, that, that is the jet stream of the Holy Spirit is to move towards what's dysfunctional. Because for him, there's no rest. He doesn't need that in that sense. But he knows we need it for our souls. And so he moves towards us. And, and I think many times what keeps us from experiencing that, it's just, it's just the doubt, and we don't step into the moment. I, I, I mean, I get that, I mean, how many times have you hesitated because you doubted you'd be loved back? And so he restores what was lost and makes it good. And even the place where it happened, the name Bethetta is either House of Mercy, great place, or House of Outpouring, also not such a bad name. And then think about this whole scene right in the temple campus, the courtyard area, that these folks, and this is the part that's tragic, because this is how it happens still in life. The people who were the worst off in terms of disability and shortcomings and maybe disfigurement and scarring were the ones that were at least capable of getting to what was a source of healing. See, if you just had a, a bad splinter, water moved, boom, you're in, right? Bam. But if you can't use your legs, if you have a large thing that you're growing or something, then you, you can't get to it, then you're the one that needs it the most and can't get to it. Now, I think what that communicates to you year after year after year after year is that he doesn't care. Or if he cured, wouldn't he make another way? Or maybe I'm too damaged for him to heal. Or I'm just too ugly for him to love me and heal me. So you hear... You're there in the courtyard. You'd hear this wonderful music of God's love and faithfulness to the nation and to individuals. You'd hear the prayers. You'd see the incense burning, and all of it is just mocking you because there you are in the midst of all that, and you can't get healed. When I think about that fellow himself... I mean, you you have to sort of really feel and smell the moment to a degree. Is uh, I mean, thirty eight years in the outdoors. If he's not able to move around well enough to 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 hit the water when he when the magic happened, personal hygiene is not a priority, right? So you know maybe the hair and the beard is matted up. Um, whoever. Since he wasn't working somebody probably fed him out of charity as a as a beggar and so he maybe didn't have the right plates and you know the, the fingernails not being cared for and broken and chipped discolored and you know skin that's uncared for uh, you know body that's unwashed and perhaps sitting in some of his own filth and and that's the guy that jesus says hey do you want to get well Oh no no no! I'm good. I'm I'm down with this. I like staring at ankles. I love the stench. I'm perfectly fine. I I I had a little bit of humor in that for just a moment because honestly, I don't think I can handle reading this without some emotion. It's just so dark to me at some level because I can feel this man's sense of hopelessness, and so he's got to come with a story to say, "Well, I'm just not quick enough." Because what's his option? God doesn't love me enough. Any doubts. You see, I think for some of us, it's not that we it's not that we doubt that God can. It's just that we doubt that God can can or will for us. Oh, in fact some of you, you're warriors. You stand up for injustice. You want to heal what's hurting. You bring people to this to church. All the while, you're brokenhearted. You're just bleeding from the inside. You you believe in the ideal. You just really have a hard time believing it for yourself. And see what we what we actually doubt is his love for us. Because we think the time that we've been carrying our hurts and our disappointments and the accumulation of pain that's added up, we think the time is his indifference to it. But maybe it's um, it's an indication of maybe how sick and damaged our souls actually are. How many of you actually do any gardening you do? Uh, you do? Oh, really? Okay. You garden, garden, or you guys even grow food? Have you ever grown food? Really? Wow. Hats off to you. Um, I remember taking horticulture at school, and um, I have to say that every single moment of that class was painful at multiple levels. Um, I didn't like being outdoors. <laughs> no surprise there. And, uh, uh, but I was always, uh, you know, what, what stuck with me is how much preparation there is for something to grow. I mean, you, you think, oh, okay. You know, the, the teacher said, okay, put the seeds on the ground. Uh, open the package first, Octavio. Oh, okay, right there. And, um, and just the watering, the, the prepping the soil, making sure it's the right level, the right pH level, the right? And, you know, should you grow it in the shade? Should it be a northern exposure? What time of the year to grow it in? Preparing the soil, watering it just right. You know, hovering over it. Grow, grow, please. <laughs> Come on, grow. And, and all that work and effort. And sometimes the most elegant delicate, beautiful flowers or, or, or grapes or whatever that be come from the result of a labor of love, right? And I, I, I don't know why we miss that metaphor for our own souls. But sometimes the, the, it needs to, so much more prepping and so much more work and so much more time, it seems, because it's just that much more damaged. We've been, oddly enough, we've held on to our our own darkness so long, because if I'm not this, then who am I? So the time is not the time it seems like a delay has nothing to do with his indifference. It doesn't mean that he cares for you less and you more. It's always at the right moment to produce the maximum impact on your souls. Always. But can you imagine what that guy was thinking? People walking in and out of the temple all the time. People coming in and out experiencing God. Some very moved to emotions. Others smiling. Most people singing. What was his story about God? Can you feel what his impression must have been? Driven home to him year after year after year after year. And then this young guy comes along and says, Hey, you want to get well? Of course he has a story because it's too painful to say, I don't think God loves me enough and that's why I can't get well see but I think that's for some of you actually if you were to peel back that's for some of you actually believe he just doesn't love you enough I tell you, the, um, you, know, I'll give you I'll give you a story Lily's not here so I can talk all I want now it's my wife for those of you who don't know um, when I met Lilia, I, uh, I I had dated a few people. I've stopped since I got married. But when I met Lilia, <laughs> that, uh, she put her foot down, and so um, you know we hit it off right away. Obviously, she was deeply attracted to me, and I was fond of her. And um, so, but we hit it off right away, and and. Uh, and, and, and for guys, you understand what I'm saying. If you have the nice car and you know, you, you go out and you pay for the evening, you pick up your day, you drop her off, and you know, sometimes you wonder, is it you or is it what you're able to possibly provide? Is it, is, is it your lifestyle? You're not sure, right? And, and so with Lilia, I wanted to be sure because I really liked her right off the bat. So on our second date, On Saturday night, I took her to the laundromat with my pit bull that I asked her to feed. And I thought, hey man, I really like her. So if I, I know some of you were like shocked, like what? And and I thought, if she doesn't go with this, her loss, but I'll get over it, I'll learn to love again. And so she stuck around, and so we decided to get married. But before we got married, in between the laundry date, I had a moment when I just... Imploded emotionally and spiritually, and it led to an episode of self injury. And it led to the moment in the hospital, and all this stuff. And uh, you know, my job was gone, and the car it was just not good. No bueno, as they say. Her ex boyfriend comes into town, flies in on his plane, not a plane, his plane. The good doctor wanted to try to um, reconcile with, with my wife. Well, my girlfriend at the time. Oh, I didn't know who she was at the time. So I'm walking around with my injuries, out of job, the car, everything else that I thought I had going for me, and uh, Dr. Jerkface comes into town. <laughs> Not bitter, but to, to try to convince Lilia to come back. So, obviously, you know what I'm thinking. We had a few laughs. We'll always have the memories. But it's over. Well, uh, some of you know that it wasn't, because, you know, we've married 30 years now. Um, she chose well. And, uh, but I got to tell you, knowing that she said no, to this potential life to say yes to me. I had not known what that was like. Because I had nothing to offer. And she said yes to me and chose me and we moved on in our relationship and we eventually married. So here's the thing I think some of us struggle with and this is why I, I titled this The Power Over Doubt. I know you believe it in your head I know you've told people about God's love. I know you bring people to moments like this, try to help them encourage and step into that moment with him. You just don't believe it for yourself. Maybe you think you've added too many mistakes, too many shortcomings. You, you've mismanaged so many areas of your life. You just think, yeah, you know, I, he just doesn't love me. And the biggest surprise is that he continues to choose you. And so, like this man, he comes with the same question. Do you want to be well? 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 And I think we miss that moment. Because we just don't, can't believe it. That at our worst, he chooses us. We don't choose Him. We're incapable of believing in the magic. We are crippled emotionally because we have no hope. Our hearts are shriveled for not having experienced love. When Lilia said yes to me in that moment, it made all the difference. When you say yes to God at that moment, as He says yes to you, it makes all the difference. This is his power over doubt. His incredible love for you. This is where everything is summed up. This is where you'll be released. This is where you'll be healed. This is where you find yourself. He is in love. If you doubt anything else, you can hang on to the fact that he finds you incredibly interesting. Girls, you know what it's like? It's like the guy that listens to every single detail and actually pays attention and then loves you more than that. And guys, it's for the one that you seem to fail, we come up short and weak. He's, oh my gosh, I see a hero here in the making. Are you kidding me? You're my hero, I love you. And he he speaks to us us as individuals, he knows us because he made you and he finds you Fascinating. And can't wait to be more part of your story. That's his power of a doubt. He loves you. Let me close in a word of prayer with you. Father, thank you so much for your kindness and for your love. For, for me, for my friends, because of this story, and, and maybe now pictures in our head that we've talked about this morning. What I pray is that when we have those moments of doubt, when we find ourselves shrinking back, when we are afraid, that you help us to remember that everything that drives you is your love for us. I pray that you help us to experience that, that way that it seems to really restore our souls and heal us and, and, and just erases all the dark past so that it no longer hurts us. I pray that you help my friends and I understand your incredible love for us and experience the difference that that makes. Father, I pray for everyone in this room who, you know, they're processing, they're in different stages of their journey, you know, they're, they're hoping it could be true, but they don't want to bet on it yet because what if it's not? Help them understand that you're a, you're a sure bet. We never lose and we throw all we have and abandon ourselves into your arms and care because you do love us. You're so incredibly for us, so incredibly interested in our lives as a good father. Help us to step into those moments with you. In your son's name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.